last week we were in chapter 12 of Revelation and we were given a picture of the spiritual battle that lies behind the world's persecution of Christians. Uh, towards the end of the world's history, Satan and his demons are cast out of heaven. And because he knows that his time is short, well, he, he just lets go. He, he unleashes all of his fury. First, he tries to deceive and destroy the church with a flood of evil. Uh, and when he can't succeed in that, he then turns his fury upon the Christians, individual Christians, and he starts inflicting them with terrible persecutions. Today, we're up to chapter 13, and in chapter 13, we're given another perspective of it. We're no longer focusing on the spiritual battle. We're now focusing on the physical outcome of that spiritual battle, um, how the spiritual battle is being physically experienced within the world. And once again, we're back in the domain of what's called apocalyptic literature, um, which means there's a lot of numbers here and there's a lot of symbols used here to try and describe what is going to be a very terrible time for Christians. So, let me read it now. Uh, Revelation chapter 13. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on, it horn, on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marvelled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for forty-two months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who is slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken to captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for endurance and the faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. 
and it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both slave and free, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Right, um, we're into some of the some of the toughest part of Revelation to try and understand. And, and it's also some of the part of the Revelation which catches the imaginations of every crazy and, and um, I guess also all those who, who really want to struggle with, well, what is the word of God saying? Okay, at the end of chapter 12, Satan is about to unleash his fury on the faithful disciples of Jesus. And it ends with this sentence. And he stood on the sand of the sea. And this is significant because now in chapter 13, two beasts arise. One out of the sea and one out of the earth. And with the image of Satan standing on the shoreline, there's no doubt that these two beasts are Satan's henchmen. Because here he is, he's overseeing the arrival of both of them. The first beast, we'll discover later on, is the Antichrist. And the second beast is the false prophet. The first beast, the Antichrist, rose out of the sea. And the description of this beast is almost identical to the description that we're given of the dragon, which represented Satan back in chapter 12. Ten horns means he's very powerful. Seven heads means that he's given all authority on the earth. Only this time, instead of the seven heads having a crown, this time each of the ten horns have a crown. Now this is telling us that the ruling authority that he wields, it's going to be very difficult to resist because he's relying on his power to maintain it. His authority to rule is because of his strength. That's what horns represent. And he is so strong that no one can overcome him. No one can stand against him. He's described as being like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. Now, that all sounds very strange. What is this weird-looking Frankenstein monster of a beast? Well, I've said this before and I'm pretty sure I'm going to say it again and again. We are always going to have trouble understanding the book of Revelation unless we understand our Old Testament. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel describes four separate beasts coming up out of the sea. A lion, a bear, a leopard, and then a more terrifying beast with ten horns. And these represented four kings, or as it turns out, four kingdoms or four empires that would rise in the world. And the most common explanation for these four empires that Daniel saw were the empires of Babylon, Persia, Greece, and the Roman Empire. 
the fourth kingdom, the Roman Empire, was particularly powerful and it was very hard on God's people. And so straight away, we've got to understand, okay, this beast rising up from the sea, it's the same as beasts, plural, rising up from the sea in Daniel. So therefore, straight away, we know that it is representing a kingdom or an empire. But also we have a picture here of it is one single beast. But this single beast is like a giant milkshake of, of all of the worst or the most terrifying parts of all of the other four beasts from Daniel's dream. So what are we being told? Well, we have to be careful that we don't get too prescriptive. Uh, we can't say exactly what it all means. But it seems to me that it's a pretty good idea that, that what we're being told is there will be arise one world government that is very powerful. Now, that may be one single dictator, or it may be a worldwide government system, or a worldwide alliance. We don't know. And at this point, though, I think it's more profitable for us to identify what rather than who. Okay, throughout history, people have tried to identify who is this world leader? Is it the ones that we have right now? And we, we try to make it seem, okay, is it this one or is it this one or is it this one? Now, we're not told who to look out for. We're told what to look out for. So this beast, this world dictator or this world government is depicted as what in other places is described as the Antichrist. He's almost like Satan incarnate. We're told that his power is given to him by Satan. But we also have to note that Antichrist only has his power because God allows him to have it. But only for a time. And this Antichrist is made to look like the devil's version of the Christ. As we read through Revelation, we discover that there's some similarities between this Antichrist and the real Christ. In the Revelation, both Christ and the Antichrist have swords. Uh, they both have followers who have their names written on their foreheads. They both have horns. Uh, they both look like they've been slain, and yet they have both overcome their mortal wounds. They have both been given authority. They have both been given authority over every tribe, every nation, every people, and every tongue. And they both receive worship. And so the Antichrist mimics the real Christ in order to deceive many. And that shouldn't be a surprise for us. In 2 Corinthians, we're told that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He comes in the guise of something good. And that's all part of his deception. Antichrist, this world ruler will be so powerful that nobody will be able to stand against him. And we're actually told that the people of the world will actually worship this ruler. Now, we probably have a great deal of trouble even comprehending this. Which of us would worship one of our world rulers? You know, would you worship our politicians? Does anybody here make a habit out of worshipping Malcolm Turnbull? Or perhaps you would prefer to worship Bill Shorten um, or Barnaby Joyce. He's, he used to be a local. Would we worship him? No. And the Americans, I guess, 
I don't think too many of them would want to worship Donald Trump by the way the media treat him. But we only marvel at this worship of a ruler because we've never lived in a land that has where the ruler has absolute authority. We live in a democracy and our ruling governments are people pleasers. Um, they have to be, otherwise we won't vote for them again. They've got to make us feel really good about ourselves. And even when times are tough, even when the economy's failing, and well, they, they can't cut spending, they can't increase taxes, why not? Well, because we won't vote for them again. Even when that's what we need, governments can't do what we need. So governments, our governments, either have to lie to get our vote or they buy our vote and at the same time send our country broke. But that's our fault because that's what we vote for. In a democracy, we get the leaders we deserve. But when Antichrist rises to power, he will have absolute power. And when a leader has absolute power, that is when a leader is able to be worshipped. The Apostle John, who wrote this book of Revelation, he knew all about this. He, he was living it. He, he lived in a land that was where the Roman emperor had absolute power. And that Roman emperor was worshipped. And if you didn't worship the emperor, you weren't allowed to work, you weren't allowed to buy, you weren't allowed to sell. In some cases, you were imprisoned, you're fed to the lions. Ah, but you might say, but, but that's ages ago. That's a thing of the past. Nobody in their right mind would worship their ruler today, wouldn't they? Now, it's not that long ago that the image of Adolf Hitler and, and his swastika was plastered all over Germany. And people would greet one another with a salute. Hail Hitler. And in North Korea today, Kim Jong-un is adored, even worshipped by the people of North Korea, simply because his uh, grandfather was the godlike founding president of North Korea. And if the people of North Korea don't demonstrate the correct amount of adoration, well, they pay the consequences and they're probably never seen again. But we don't only have to look to the past or to look to overseas. People in Australia worship other people. Some worship pop stars. Some worship sports stars. Some worship movie stars. Some worship the famous simply because they're famous and nobody knows why they're famous. But they are famous and so some people worship them. Does anyone know what a mosh pit is? Does anyone know what a mosh pit is? Yeah, yeah that's where the where it all happens, right at the front of the stage at a rock concert, so I've been told. Um, that, a mosh pit, is a place to adore and worship. You don't go to a mosh pit so you can hear the music better. You hear the music far better with a set of headphones in your lounge room at home. A mosh pit isn't a place to listen to music, it's a place to worship. Well, people worship people. Now, if a modern man or a modern woman can worship someone who they like because they give them some kind of pleasure by seeing their movies or hearing their music, don't you think they'd be capable of worshipping someone who has the power to feed them when they're starving or someone 
who has the power to prevent them from ever having a job ever again. But this world leader isn't only worshipped because of the consequences of not worshipping him. Uh, this leader or this system of government um, was miraculously healed. It was mortally wounded and there was no way that it, it looked like there was no way that it could ever survive. But he or it did. Its mortal wound was healed and the whole, worth, whole world marvelled because, because of this healing and they followed the beast. This ruler looked like he was dead. It looked like it was all over for this ruler or for this empire. There was no way that it could possibly recover, but recover it did. And thus the people marvelled and worshipped. So what is this Antichrist like? Well, Antichrist is exactly that. Antichrist. He blasphemes God, but only because he is allowed to. Right? We're going to be told this over and over and over again. It may seem that God has lost control of the situation, but God has not lost control. God is allowing it to happen, but only for a little while. And we have to remember this. Verse 7, also it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Now your theology mightn't handle that. The lie of prosperity theology says if you have enough faith, you'll prosper in all things. You'll prosper financially, you'll prosper physically, you'll be healthy and wealthy, you can have a long life. That, my friends is a lie of Antichrist. Because Jesus has told us the exact opposite. Jesus told us that to follow him, we have to take up our cross. Now that doesn't mean taking up a gold necklace. It means taking up an instrument of torture and execution, being willing to die for him. To be Jesus' disciple is to enter a life of persecution and sometimes poverty. And God will allow the saints to be persecuted, even under death. It is normal for the Christian church to be persecuted. The freedom and the peace that we have as Christians in our country is not normal. It never has been. Millions of Christians, if you just think even back to my parents' day, millions of Christians were killed in the various communist revolutions. Christianity was outlawed. God was blasphemed. At that time, it would have been very easy to say, oh, there's the Antichrist. It's the rise of communism. But then again, in my day, millions of Christians are being killed and Jesus is being blasphemed with the rise of Islam. Antichrist is allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And this will become a worldwide phenomenon. Authority has been given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. Now, we might find that really hard to imagine. How could this possibly happen? That, that one ruler or one government would be allowed to rule all the nations of the earth. 
Well, here's three possibilities. And, and these are just possibilities. There's oodles more. The first possibility is that one nation will rise and conquer every other nation of the earth. If you can remember back to Revelation chapter 6, that's where we read about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. A world leader rose bent on conquest. So the first possibility is that that world leader may be the Antichrist. He was given the power to conquer and to conquer. A second possibility is that the nations of the world willingly hand over control because they need somebody powerful to restore law and order. Let's remember again the four horsemen of the apocalypse. There was conquest, followed by anarchy, that is lawlessness, right? That's where people of the world would just kill one another, followed by famine, followed by death. Now, if you were living under the conditions of lawlessness and famine and death, wouldn't you want somebody to step in and sort things out? I know I would. Nations do give their power over to others. Brexit is a reaction against Britain losing more of its independence to the EU because they had already given some of their independence and some more of their independence was going to go there as well. But we can look locally as well. Even in Australia, we're dictated to, to some extent, by policies and commitments by and to the UN. And sometimes, in some nations, circumstances get so terrible that the nation themselves ask the UN to step in and restore peace and stability. Um, the army exercises that were carried out in St George last year and again this year was practising for exactly that scenario, where they would be asked to go into another country to help to restore law and order, where anarchy was currently reigning, to try and get law and order back happening again, to get it back into the hands of the civil authorities. And so a second possibility is that nations will hand their power over to Antichrist because things are going pretty bad and he has the power to restore it. A third possibility, and this one's a bit left field, and I'm just throwing it in so that we don't fix our minds too stringently in one direction, is that maybe some world corporation could gain so much power and influence in the world that it effectively becomes a ruler of the world. Now, of course, there's oodles of other possibilities as well. But once again, let's not ask who, but what. Some person or some organisation gains so much power that no one can stand against it. It's a ruler or a ruling system that blasphemes God and makes war on Christians. People marvel at it because it was near dead, but it recovered. And because of this miracle and because of its power, people of the world, all over the world, begin to worship it. But there is one group of people who will not worship Antichrist. Anyone want to guess who that is? Christians. Why not? Well, anyone who personally knows the true Christ won't be taken in by the Antichrist. 
So, will the Christians fight against him? No, they won't. Verse 10 says, if anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. You know, there's a number of Hollywood movies about that have the Antichrist in it, and any that I've ever seen involves the hero standing up and fighting and battling this Antichrist. Well, that's not the way of disciples of Jesus. We are not to physically resist. Our job is to stand strong in the faith. If we're imprisoned, we're imprisoned for the Lord. If we're killed, we're killed for the Lord. But if you choose to physically fight, don't believe for a minute that you're choosing to do that for God. But let me clarify this here. Here we're talking about personal persecution of God's people. I'm not talking about the issues about whether it's right or wrong for a Christian to go to war when their nation goes to war. That's, that's a separate issue entirely. Righto. The second beast. If the first beast represents one world ruler or one world ruling body, the second beast represents its minister of religion or one world religion. The second beast is the false prophet. This beast is described as having two horns like a lamb and speaking like a dragon. That means it appears Christ-like. Because in the Revelation, the Lamb of God is described as having horns. So it appears Christ-like. But when the second beast speaks, its words are not the words of Christ. It's speaking the words of the dragon. Now, who's the dragon? The devil. Last week, as chapter as chapter 12 described the spiritual battle, there was a flood of evil coming out of the dragon's mouth to try and sweep the church away. And now we're getting a bit more of a description of what this is going to look like. A false teacher, which appears Christ-like, but his words are deceptive. We already have a, a new social religion in our world today and the world widely accepts it and it's crept into many churches under the guise of godliness it appears christ-like but it's not godliness at all it's basically a humanist religion where humans are elevated to the place of god it's a religion of political correctness of human rights of equality and inclusiveness it, it it's a concept of a, a safe space where you can believe what you want to believe as long as you don't expect everybody else to have to believe it too. And it categorically rejects anything that excludes anybody or any ideas. In fact, it rejects any claim to exclusivity at all, such as Jesus is the only way to God. It rejects anything that condemns and it rejects any notions of sin that we need to repent of in relation to God. And there are all sorts of social gospels that are wholly acceptable to the world, but they do not hold to the uniqueness of Jesus Christ 
as the only way to God. They don't hold to the uniqueness of Jesus Christ crucified and raised as the only Lord. Whereas for Christians, that's our core belief. And we can never forget that. And many of these false teachers seem like very nice people. They seem to be very friendly and very loving and very accepting, almost Christ-like. But when they speak, their words are deceptive. They're not the words of Christ, they're the words of the devil. So, what is the role of the second beast, the false prophet? His role is to get the people of the world to worship the ruler of the world. And of course, when they worship the ruler of the world, they're actually worshipping Satan. How does he achieve it? Well, this false prophet has power to perform signs and wonders. Just like Elijah could call fire down from heaven, he can too. And Jesus has warned us about this. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said, For false prophets, sorry, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, we have to realize there's three different ways that signs and wonders can be performed in our world. There are signs and wonders of God that are performed by the power of God. There are tricks and illusions, such as a stage magician may use to please their crowds, all sleight of hand and misdirection and smoke and mirrors. But there's also a third way that signs and wonders can be performed, and that's by the power of the occult. Satanic and demonic powers accomplishing supernatural acts. And it, it disturbs me how even Christians are drawn to the signs and wonders of the occult. My own grandfather, a very dedicated Christian, told me once of how an old water diviner had done his div divination on his son, my uncle, and how my uncle's ailments were cured by following his prescription. Apparently he is a very sickly child until that time, and they followed his prescription and all of a sudden, he was okay. Now, what causes something like that to happen? In our increasingly health-obsessed world, even Christians participate in yoga and Tai Chi and iridology and Reiki and all sorts of other Eastern mysticism because, hey, this is giving me health benefits. It's really great. It's got to be good. What could possibly be wrong with it? I'll tell you what's wrong with it. We'll take yoga as an example and Tai Chi. These are not just exercise regimes. It's being sold as exercise. If you want exercise, take up a sport or go for a walk or push a lawnmower. The movements and body positions of the disciplines such as yoga and Tai Chi and various forms of martial arts are actually a form of worship coming from Eastern religions. And if there are health benefits for these apart from normal exercise, well, where do these health benefits come from? We're into the domain of the occult. As soon as we're into healing principles from other religions, we're into the domain of the occult. Now, a lot of people won't accept that. The false prophet will lead astray even the elect 
if that were possible. By signs and wonders, the false prophet deceives those who dwell on earth. We're told that people of the world will make images of the beast. Now, we know that, and the Bible's very clear on telling us this, that idols are just useless blocks of wood or chunks of stone. They can't do anything, can they? But somehow, this false prophet is allowed to animate these objects. He was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Anyone who doesn't worship the world ruler will be killed. But most people will worship him. They'll have the beast's mark of loyalty because they have worshipped him. Either the name of the world ruler or his number, 666. And the only people who will be allowed to buy or sell will be those who have worshipped the beast and have his mark of loyalty on their forehead or on their right hand. Christians will be the only ones who don't. And so these are going to be terrible times for anyone who remains faithful to Jesus Christ. Now, of course, I'm pretty sure that the question you're wanting me to answer is, well, what is this mark of the beast? Well, what is this number 666? Well, put up your hand up if you really want that question answered today. Everybody's too tentative, just not sure. Oh, when credit cards first came out, that was the latest theory. It was going to be credit cards. By the way, for a while, I had a credit card, which I don't use very often, but you know those three or four digit numbers on the back? Guess which number I had on the back of mine. Six, six, six. I was glad when that card finally expired and I could drop it through the shredder. Um, maybe before credit cards, it was the serial numbers on banknotes or serial numbers on, on check, checking accounts. When barcodes came out, that's going to be the mark of the beast. What is the mark of the beast on your right hand or on your forehead? Is it a literal mark where if you do worship Antichrist, you are allowed via that mark into the financial system so that you can buy and sell goods? You know, for a long time that was sort of hard to imagine, but with technology at the state that it is now, you know, this is all very possible. Each person could have their own identifying mark and, and funds can be transferred electronically. We could have a tattoo on our hand or a more likely a microchip or even more likely it could be your fingerprint from your right hand and a retinal scan from your, just below your forehead there. Living in our age, of course we have to identify this cashless society with some form of electronic identification of the individual. By the way, when I was at Bible college... Um, we had to learn Hebrew, and I wasn't a very good Hebrew scholar, by the way. I, I sort of, there's some very guttural sounds in Hebrew, and when I was trying to practice it, it sounded like I was trying to clear phlegm from my throat. You know, and South Africans could probably learn Hebrew pretty well, Adre. Um, yeah, you, you guys can get the guttural sounds without the phlegm happening. But anyway, 
when I was learning Hebrew, we, we looked at the number allocations for various letters. So like Aleph, Beth, Gimel, Daleth, He, Vav, I can't remember all the others, um, but they each have a number representing them. Um, guess what the number six was the letter Wow or Vav, which is the equivalent of our W. And straight away I thought 666, that's like WWW. That's like the World Wide Web. Ooh. And from that point on, I guess I became extra careful that, okay, that better not let the World Wide Web or what it represents be something that will ever make me worship something other than God. So anyway, that's one option. It could be a literal mark of some kind or a microchip or a fingerprint or a retinal scan or, or whatever that allows us to conduct our financial transactions. The second possibility is that the mark of the beast is not a literal mark at all. Because what we're discovering as we're reading through Revelation, much of Revelation is symbolic. And so this could be a symbolic mark. We've already told that the followers of Jesus Christ have a mark on them. We are sealed. How are we sealed? We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Followers of the devil have a mark of Antichrist on them. Now, 666, if we try to think symbolically, 666, well, seven is the number of perfection or completeness. Six becomes the number of imperfection, non-completeness, and 666 would be really, really, really imperfect. In Exodus and Deuteronomy, it talks about the law of the Lord and how it should be so much a part of who we are and so much a part of what we believe. It should be so much a part of our lives and our speaking and our doing that in Deuteronomy 6, it says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Now, of course, some Jews take that quite literally. You got the picture up there? And they... They tie a, a little box to their forehead with the law of the Lord written inside of it. Uh, or, and they have this tied to their right hand, a box, you can see it strapped up to his shoulder and then the band coming right down to his right hand, so it's sort of in his right hand, but it's not. Um, this is tying the law of the Lord to their forehead and to their right hand. Now they're taking literally something that is meant to be symbolic. So what is your mind bound to? What is your right hand bound to? The law of the Lord and the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you unashamedly a disciple of Jesus Christ? So much so that it's, it's bound to you. And are you following Christ for all that you're worth? Or are you worshipping the ruler of this world? Who are you bound to? Now, whether it be a literal mark or whether it be a symbolic mark, the important thing I want you to notice is those who do not worship the ruler of this world will not have this number on their forehead or on their hand. It's not the other way around. Are you getting this? Our task is to worship God and God alone. And by doing this, we will not have this mark of the beast on us. 
We've got God's mark on us. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. If we are faithful to Jesus Christ and refuse to worship the beast, we will not receive the mark of the beast because we're not entitled to it. It's only those who worship the beast who are entitled to this mark. Are you getting this? Yeah, yeah, sometimes we get so caught up in the details and, and some people try so hard to work out what this mark is so that I can avoid the mark. And if I avoid the mark, then I won't get caught by the beast. Whereas it's supposed to be the other way around. We so much worship only God and we refuse to worship anything else. That's what we do. And then we're not entitled to this mark. Now, of course, there's consequences that go along with this because we're not entitled to this mark. And it's only if you have this mark that you're allowed to buy and sell. Things are going to get really tough. Remember last week in, in chapter 12, it told us about the spiritual battle and how we conquer the evil one and not get taken in by him. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. We hold to the faith and we keep testifying to the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. So I haven't told you what 666 represents, have I? I don't know. Even if I did know, I wouldn't have to tell you because I think we'll find out when the time comes. Our task, and this is what I am telling you because this is what you do need to know, our task is to remain faithful to Jesus Christ no matter how tough things get. And our task is to continue to tell the good news of Jesus to anyone who will listen and to a heap of people who won't listen. Most people won't listen, but it's our job to do this. It'll be costly, though. You won't be able to buy or sell. So unless you can manage to grow your own tucker, your family's going to have to starve. If you can't buy and sell, you won't be able to buy electricity or gas. If you live somewhere where it's cold, you're going to freeze. But you won't worry about that. You don't need to worry about freezing or starving because anyone who refuses to worship the beast will be killed. So that's the good news I've got to share for you today. You've got to look forward to. But this is okay. Because when we die, we die for the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that... Um, that you've warned us ahead of time that, that these things will happen. And Lord, I want to thank you that even though it may seem that everything's out of control and that you've lost control of the situation, you haven't. That you are allowing this to happen for a time. And then you will step in and make things right. Lord, as we spoke last week about chapter 12 in the spiritual battle. Lord, I want to thank you that chapter 12 prepares us for chapter 13.
that in chapter 12 we could see the spiritual reality behind what is going to unfold in the world. And that even though it seems like it's out of control, that you are the one who maintains control. You're allowing this to happen, but only for a time. And I want to thank you, Lord, for what we learned last week, that during this time, that those who overcome, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who always continue to trust in you. We want to thank you for the power of the blood of the Lamb, that power which sets us free from all sin and unrighteousness and makes us pure and holy in your sight. But Lord, I want to thank you also for the testimony that you have given us. But Lord, as I consider these things and consider what it's going to be like at this end of time, I realise how easy we have it now where we are not being persecuted and yet we fail to overcome even our situations by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. We have your testimony on our heart and in our minds and on our right hands, but we hide it. Oh Lord, I pray for strength today that you would help us to begin living now by the blood of the Lamb, that you'd help us to begin living now by the word of our testimony that when these terrible times come, that we'll already be living exactly how you want us to be living. Lord, as Joy's already prayed today, we pray for those areas in the world where Christians are already being severely persecuted, as if the end has already arrived. And Lord, we pray for these Christians, for our brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, that you would keep them strong in the faith, and that you would give them courage to be able to share the gospel in a world where they will be killed because of the gospel. And Lord, receive them into your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.